Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of the E-Commerce Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today I have with me an expert in Amazon, Dr. Robin Gaster. He's a visiting scholar at George Washington University Institute for Public Policy. He's the president of Incumetrics, and he's also a publisher of a book, and that's what most of the focus will be today on, Behemoth Amazon Rising, Power and Seduction in the Age of Amazon. How are you doing today, Robin? I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me. I think we'll have an excellent conversation. Likewise. With Wick Reports, we have a lot of brands, 1 million to 100 million. The sweet spot's around 10 million. I'm noticing it's been rising over time. And they're all keen on Amazon. They're all nervous about it. So it's a very timely conversation, and I'm happy to learn and probe on their behalf. Sure. So very uh, excited to have you on. So before we get into all the the nitty gritty tactics, tell us in a high level, what would you advise a brand that was in that range? What do they they know? Look, the story is, where do you get your customers, right? Amazon has lots of things. It has all its technology behind it and it has its delivery system and has tons and tons of reviews and recommendations. It can do lots of things and you can do lots of things on the Amazon platform. But in the end, Amazon's biggest weapon is that it has the customers. It has 120 million Prime members this year in the U.S. There are are only 125 million households, according to the census, right? They have more members than actually fill out the census form. Can you avoid them, right? First question, is there a way to be a brand today without being on Amazon? And I believe in the U.S., the answer is really increasingly no. So let's talk about a couple of brands that have tried, that are trying this, right? Mm -hmm. We we have, there there are smaller brands that are you, and and that are using Shopify to, and, and Shopify is great for doing one thing, which is connecting you electronically to your existing customer base. It's fantastic as a defensive action. Right? It means you don't have to go to Amazon to get into e-commerce. You can do it through Shopify, and it's booming because of that. But it's fundamentally defensive. Why? It doesn't have any customers of its own. You don't go to Shopify to get customers. You go there to deliver stuff and to fulf- get your fulfillment system working and all that. Shopify also doesn't have Amazon's fulfillment, but that's another issue. So let's think here. You're a brand. You're like Nike. Nike hated being on Amazon. They left Amazon behind. They've revamped their entire strategy to avoid Amazon. They've gone direct to the consumer. They're they're closing out their bricks and mortar. They're going direct to consumer and they're avoiding Amazon. Why? Because Amazon controls the customer. And if, if they control the customer, then in the end, the brand is at their mercy, right? I mean, you have that business that you don't get the information about your own customers that you need to pursue them and cultivate them and build brand loyalty with them, uh, it makes it a really hard, hard platform to work on, isn't that? So on the one hand, you have Amazon, which has all the customers. If you want to grow your brand, it's very difficult to avoid. On the other hand, Amazon being on Amazon is risky. 
right? On the one hand, at first, you, you don't have access to the customers, which is a really bad thing. We'll come back to that. It's a really bad thing. But second, you don't know, you don't understand, fully understand Amazon's search algorithms because nobody does, as far as I can figure out. And they change, right? So there is a constant effort to keep up, to keep your product at the top of the heap. And, and one function of that is that you have quite limited control over pricing, right? You've, you have to be highly priced competitive on the Amazon platform. You don't have much flexibility. When you think about it, the metaphor I use for being on the Amazon platform is that you're a sharecropper, right? That's, that's what you are. You, you've gone onto the Amazon platform and they allow you to harvest, but you have to give a tithe to the master and you live there entirely at their discretion. And, you know, there's constant stories about legit sellers being booted off the platform. And I have plenty of a, a sort of analysis of why that might be happening. So, but if you put your eggs in the Amazon basket and, the, and, and Amazon takes the basket away, you got big problems. So you can't get your customers you're at Amazon's mercy. You're working in an environment that you don't fully understand because I don't think anybody does. But on the other hand, you have access to 120 million customers in the U.S. alone. That's interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating that the brands would give up that much power because I know from seeing behind the scenes of, I don't know, probably 2,000 brands at this point that have helped consult or something or other, that first-party data is so important to so many things, driving yeah. repeat sales especially. Like, right. you can get at them, make the money on the second sale, break even on the first, or buy one, do that discount up front because you know yeah. you're going to make it back eventually right. in the long-term relationship. And you just can't, you can't really get that if your first sale is Amazon. It's like, no, that's impossible. right. That, that, that's exactly right. And you can take this a little further. Amazon itself is, of course, a competitor, Right. We can talk at length about private labels and, and exclusive brands and whether they matter on Amazon or whether they don't. But it is undeniable that Amazon is a competitor for me, in many, many retail segments and niches. You have a sort of concern here that not only might you have to compete in a difficult environment, but the boss might come in and compete against you too right? You've got that sort of direct competition issue, which is a one further concern. I guess what I would say for say in the end, though, is that Amazon is a mass marketer itself in its own retail business. And we can talk about what's going on over there in a, in a minute. Amazon is a, it looks for the mass market. It's, it, it, it wants the center of every segment. It doesn't care so much about the higher end or perhaps even the terribly low end, though that certainly the higher end. If you want to compete head on with Amazon, what do you do? I would suggest that there are really two keys to competing with Amazon on Amazon's own platform. First, you have to stay out of the center of the market. You've got to find something that really differentiates what you do. If, if, if all you're doing is a commodity, eventually Amazon will come for you. And if Amazon doesn't come for you, some Chinese seller will come for you, right? I mean, because Amazon has opened the doors, which is it's great for consumers, that's for sure. Or well, mostly great for consumers, anyway. 
but you have to find some way of creating a relationship with your customers beyond what Amazon will permit you to do. You can use Amazon, but if you use only Amazon and you accept their limitations on your relationships, I, I think in the end, that's a pretty, pretty weak strategy. There are many places where that can be catastrophically dangerous. Does that make sense? It does. I actually have a story around that. A friend of mine was selling, he read, he first had the audiobook, The Four Hour Work Week by Tim yeah. Ferriss, very popular. Yeah, yeah. This was, Jesus, this was a. Uh, 2004 or something. He's all excited. Amazon is just coming on, starting new sales. Maybe it's 2006. He starts a garden gnome business and he's selling them online. He gets a pallet at there. He starts, gets up to maybe three, 4,000 bucks a month. He's going to sign it, starting to scale, wants to quit his job, smart guy. And all of a sudden sales dried up. He couldn't figure it out. And he searched and Amazon was in themselves was undercutting his price. And uh, that was even this little garden gnome. I mean, he wasn't the only garden gnome maker. There's many, many of them. Right. But he had this nice little that. niche. He was starting and eh. <laughs> well, <laughs> the only thing right. he could do was go custom or for schools or he had to change it to a, the, and that wasn't what he wanted to do, right? He wanted to just sell some stuff and he thought he had a marketplace and <clears> all of a sudden he was just getting underbid by a buck. Not a lot of margin in garden gnomes. So maybe yeah, it's there is a lot of heartache anyway. But and that takes us to an important point, which is Amazon does not tell us anything about its finances, really. It's pretty freaking secretive. But if you work diligently and make some assumptions, you can figure out what's going on in the different segments. There's a whole chapter in my book explaining where Amazon makes money and where it doesn't. And I think there is a huge lake of red ink under their own retail business. I think they lost more than $40 billion in that last year. Wow. This astounding amount of money. And it was filled in from their other segments, right? I, AWS. Advertising and marketplace and AWS and and so and Prime, but if you lose that much money, you must be undercutting people on price. You must be. Otherwise, this. I mean, why why would you be losing money? Yeah. Their attention to pricing, which we both know is pretty extreme anyway, in kind of a desperate search for revenue, they've been happy to just undercut and deprice people to a pretty substantial extent. And so your poor garden gnome guy probably got eaten by an algorithm, right? I mean, this is something yeah. else that I don't think we've fully come to grips with. There's a this massive catalog on the Amazon platform, but most of it is marketplace. Marketplace is now 60% of revenues, but it's far more than that in terms of items. Because Amazon tends to sell lots of what it sells. The total catalog is now getting close to 500 million items. It's, it's, it's absolutely astounding. I mean, you wanted a, a left-handed nut wrench that's six inches long. You could probably find it there. It's nuts. I always equate that complexity to like toothpaste. Like there's so many different types. Right. Like, I just right. want to brush my teeth and not have them stink. <laughs> what's, what's bizarre is that there are probably individual reviews for that left-handed nut wrench somewhere. Right. I did a search on hammers. There's a Stanley hammer, which is like the plainest hammer you can possibly buy in the hardware store. It has 200 reviews. People have sat down to review this hammer. That blows my mind. Who, like, 
Hey, I know I should be making a living, but I really want to tell people how well I hammered this nail. I just exactly. want to, I don't understand that. People want to be want to be authors and they can't all be authors. <laughs> Everyone so wants to be you, that. Robin. Get the book done. Start <laughs> with the reviews and work your way up. Exactly. That's it. That's exactly right. Oh, all the, they had all the skews and then they've Oh yeah. The so book. you think about it. You have your brands, right? And they are managing a number of SKUs. Yeah, some number of SKUs. Possibly, if they're a significant brand, they have three hundred or five hundred. Uh, they get quite a few SKUs. You'd be surprised because you need a different SKU every time you want to do a discount. Or okay, uh, okay, no, no. I meant, I really meant products. Actually. Oh yeah, products. Yeah, a couple hundred. Couple of hundred, right? Well, Amazon is probably managing twenty million, <laughs> right? So how is that possible? It's in, in it's any, not any without world. an algorithm. Right. It has to be done by algorithm. There's no alternative. And so what this is, what, what it's built is this sort of machine for making more Amazon, right? It's, that's what it is. And it, and it does it by scanning the marketplace constantly, looking for arbitrage opportunities that it can use knowing what, it, what the supply chains look like because it can see the supply chains. Right, it knows exactly where each of your brands, where, where each of the people on the marketplace source their stuff, because you have to provide that information eventually. And you, you, I imagine that that's true for vendors to Amazon as well. So in either case, Amazon can see the entire supply chain. It can see the opportunities, and it has no compunction whatsoever about you know undercutting someone in the known market, which really, <laughs> one would have yeah, thought. that's so evil too. It's it like, is, it is. I make mean, a few bucks on his gnomes. Right. You know, so is Amazon evil? I, it's a great question because I, I don't really think Amazon e is evil. I think Amazon is obsessive and just does not care at all about collateral damage anywhere. Right, mm -hmm. so they are totally obsessed with this customer, with this customer obsession of theirs. Right, They're, that's their mission. The mission is to be the most customer-centric company on earth. That's what they say they're going to be. Now, you, if you think about that a little bit, what does that mean? That means that serving the customer justifies anything. Mm -hmm. So, in the case of your gnomes, if you can give the gnome to the customer for fifty cents less. Well, that's a win. Yep. Right. So it, you're you're working with this kind of amoral entity that has this weird programming to only grow and only serve the customer, and it and it, and it's very it's a very strange mindset, right? It means that you literally don't see, don't notice, and don't care about what happens to anything else outside the company and outside of the customers. So the sellers, you know, they're just sharecroppers. They come, they go. doesn't really matter what, you know, there's always more. And it's the same is true of the workforce, right? We've heard all these stories coming out of the warehouses about how dreadfully, how, how obsessively and compulsively people are monitored and tracked mm. and fired by algorithm. And it's the same thing for sellers. It's just... The algorithms are running the show. They have to be with that number of items. And they're programmed so that if they see a profit, they go for it. Or even if they see revenue, they may, I'm not even sure they need profit. Maybe they do now. 
because they're in such a deep hole, but you know. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that with algorithms, how once AI comes along, <laughs> algorithms just run based on the rules. I mean, I'm way into those, you know, running an attribution company, we're really into algorithms. Mm-hmm. And you never really think about, you just want to get the logic right. And then you're like, pleased with yourself because you solved the mental puzzle. Right. And you move yeah. on to the next one. And you stack a list. That's right. <laughs> That's it. I, actually, I have a, so I have a question for you. One, one of the arguments I have in the book is that with all of these huge digital companies, we have to get much more access to their information if we have any chance of controlling what they do, of monitoring or regulating what they do. If we don't know what's in the algorithm, we don't know anything, right? If we don't know what the algorithm is that that selects one product over another on Amazon, then we have no control over what Amazon does and never will have. So my question is, as somebody to somebody who works with algorithms all the time, do you think that's even remotely possible in the case of big? No. Do you think there is like, so like my algorithms are nothing like those, but like we have one that I'm hopefully getting a patent on this year. It's taken Mm -hmm. six years to get, it's not advisable to try to do this. (laughs) And it's like 10,000 lines of code and there's tons of decisions made in there. And a lot of them were hard fought, hard earned ones. So I wouldn't want to just say, Hey, here's my algorithms that took 20,000 hours to figure out, take them competition. Here you go. Or trust the you. But you're not a monopoly. Yeah, I'm not a monopoly by it. Right. And, and think about how utilities work, right? Utilities are a regulated monopoly. And the way they work is if they want to raise prices, they have to explain exactly what they're doing. All of the costs that go into the product have to be published and reviewed, right? So every single piece of their business model is under discussion because they're a monopoly. Because, they ha- because there is no competition to do that for us. And I think in terms of platforms, Amazon is a monopoly in the US. Mm-hmm. It's not a monopoly in e-commerce and certainly not in retail. But if you want to sell on a platform, eh, it's a monopoly. I mean, I don't think Walmart Plus is going to catch up. I don't think there's any hope that it will catch up. No. So that, that train has left the station long ago. And it's called Amazon. So how do you control that? And it is different from being in a competitive market. You are in a competitive market. You're a relatively small company and you invent something fabulous. Great. Good for you. But Amazon is different and Facebook is different and Google is different. I just don't think the same rules should apply. Anyway, we should get back to brands and... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting though, that algorithm though, like how convoluted would that be and how could you... Who in the government's going to be able to sift through all that? And the algorithm is going to change 30 times down the road and tweak in the so time it, it takes for you yeah, to analyze. So they, You're never going to catch up to where it is. So I think that's fair. I would say a couple of things. One, you put your finger on one thing, which is you absolutely need a digital regulator that, has, uh, that can hire top people and has the resources and scale to to deal with these companies. I mean, Amazon has 10,000 people working on Alexa for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. DOJ has 200 antitrust lawyers. It's not a fair fight. So you need a digital regulator. And I think it should be funded by the industry. I think Amazon should be taxed for the money needed to manage Amazon. I I don't Mm -hmm. think it should, you know, seems fair enough to me. 
So that's one thing. And the other thing is, look, Amazon runs on APIs. Everything at Amazon is electronically connected. All of the resources, all of the assets, that's how they built their system. That's why it works because of the way they they can manage thousands of small teams because the communications between them is electronic, not manual. And that opens the door to plugins from outside that can access similar data. So I don't think it's impossible. I think Amazon has built the tools that will let us regulate Amazon. But uh, getting access to them is going to be a different business, right? Bezos would have to run for president and then offer that up as his like (laughs) olive branch. (laughs) Why would he want something like that when he owns the show as it is? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. New challenge, maybe? (laughs) Maybe, you know, that or flying to Mars. I mean, you know, one of those. So um, you had you had an interesting okay we'll get off the algorithm but you had an interesting point in your book about so they're losing money in internet retail so like what what does that mean and like so how long what, how yeah. long are they going to they can't do this for, forever I mean obviously they can pull it off for quite some time now but eventually <clears throat> they need to I don't think pay. it's a hard I don't think it's a hard problem for them actually if you went in as CEO at, at, of Amazon now and were and uh, were asked for a review of the different businesses. And they told you that Amazon retail was uh, losing $40 billion a year. And you would say, where? And the answer is, well, we have some products that lose a lot of money and we have other products that make some money. And the answer is you stop selling the products that lose money. It's, I mean, it's actually a trivial problem. And you just say, okay, all of those vendors, if you want to keep selling on our platform, by all means, do it. Go over to Marketplace and do it now. And they would they they would take twenty percent of their gross business and move it from retail to marketplace, and and that would solve the problem. They would they would they would no longer be losing money. So why haven't they done it? I, it's really hard to say. I think they're kind of trapped in their everything store mental model, and and in their history, their history has been as a retailer and a growing retailer. It's a shock to suddenly say, well, actually, we're going to cut back our retail by a third or something like that. Yeah. But they could if they had to. Right now, they don't have to. They have more money than they need. They're (laughs) sitting on $84 billion in cash. So there's no particular urgency about this. (laughs) Maybe Jass will push things in a different direction because he doesn't come from retail. So maybe he will see this with a slightly fresher eye and take appropriate action. I mean... For your people, it's it's ironic in a way, isn't it? This you can imagine Amazon as kind of the great white whale of e-commerce in America, right? They're this huge, powerful beast that uh, you know wanders around chomping on things, and it it is pretty dangerous. But but the white whale is is surrounded by sharks, right? All those marketplace sellers who know their supply chain. We talked about that a bit earlier, that Amazon is trying to run 20 million supply chains. Well, one would imagine that the people who run your brands understand their supply chain far better than Amazon does, the the similar product, right? And probably can manage it better. It's a smaller, more manageable sort of thing to do. 
So it wouldn't surprise me at all to find that the sort of automated supply chains that Amazon runs are not all that efficient. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, you know, that Amazon made a concerted push to bring Chinese sellers onto its platform. Maybe I didn't two, know that. Yeah, maybe two, three years ago, they started really pushing hard to bring man Chinese, Chinese manufacturers directly here. They started a freight forwarding business from China that will pick up from a Chinese manufacturer and take it all the way to America and to Amazon's warehouses. I mean, it's quite, they really are an end-to-end -end service. Incredible. Mm -hmm. But but what, what they've done in a sort of, it's a very ironic, that the reason for doing this is obvious. More volume on the marketplace, lower cost, direct sales means reduced prices. Everything looks good from the customer point of view. But I, I think you can argue that, or we, we can, we, maybe we'll see, that, that Amazon has disintermediated itself, right? So it put all these, all these manufacturers on its platform and found they were competing with Amazon's own products, right? So just as Amazon disintermediated Barnes & Noble and Borders in the book business by going direct to customers, mm -hmm. It now gave a platform for Chinese manufacturers to do exactly the same thing, right? So prices were pushed down. Well, that's a problem for Amazon, which sells a lot of stuff. Their prices have had to fall too. And so its, it's own actions to open the door to Chinese sellers have probably damaged it quite significantly. Do you think they're going to stay in retail? Really good question. They've been moving away from retail by about two percentage points every year. So that is to say, if you take the total sales across the Amazon platform, the share that is owned by Amazon itself versus the marketplace has been declining by about two percentage points every year for the last 10 years. So now the marketplace sellers count for 60%. Well, if it just continues at the same rate in 10 years, which is a relatively short period by Amazon planning standards, it would be 80%. And one could imagine that would be fairly stable, right? Probably that core area of Amazon's retail is very profitable and they'll keep that. And everything else will gradually flow to the marketplace. Why? Because it's no risk. Marketplace is a guaranteed 20 odd percent Thank you. No risk, no problems. If something goes wrong, you blame the seller and that's good. And compare that to being an actual retailer where you can lose money and where it's really difficult and you have to decide what to source and you have to decide what's going to be fashionable and you actually have to be a good retailer. I mean, there's no competition, is there? I, I would take a platform in a second and dump the retail. I mean, why be in that difficult business when you can yeah. be in a business where you just basically have a license to print money? Do you expect they'll, that's the plan? Oh yeah. You had to guess? Yeah. Well, explain to me <laughs> why they would do anything else. I, I don't understand. I don't see why they would possibly do anything else. On the other hand, they do sometimes do very strange things. They, they've gotten into groceries or are getting into groceries, mm -hmm. which is a bizarre thing to do. I mean, what do we know about groceries? Groceries, very low margin, very high capital expenditure, lots of pain in the ass stuff to do, to do with regulation and to do with labor and to do with dealing with the politics of the local store, right? The area in which the local, 
it's a huge pain in the ass. I mean, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And it has no digital component, really. We've seen a bit of it in delivery, but it's difficult. And Amazon has no competitive advantage there. And it's, and, and it's not a, a, a place where if you get into it, you can, you can somehow create margin that didn't used to exist. Walmart is very efficient. Target is very efficient. I don't see that Amazon has any competitive advantage whatsoever. And I don't care about all these fancy go stores where touchless exit lanes where you don't have to check out. Sorry. That's not a reason you're going to go to Whole Foods. No. And right now the prices on the fruit are like a buck less a container. That's all I've noticed. (laughs) That's right. And the the workers don't look as happy. (laughs) I've noticed that too. They're, They're not as happy. Has Amazon changed anything in Whole Foods? Not really. It's still losing money. It's, it's about, is it growing? No. <laughs> so, so what, but so they're getting into that. I don't understand that. But there are plenty of other businesses they can get into that will be much more exciting. And I think we won't, Amazon is still going to grow really fast. But I can't, I can't see why they would stay in retail other than volume. And if they can move the volume off to the marketplace, that's fine. That's optimal. That, that's fascinating. So for the brand at that like $10 million brand that should they try to do their best to just resist the lure of Amazon? Or I was thinking, you know, what I, what I would try, I don't, I'm sure they do. I don't know how effective it would be is that some sort of way in the package that you're getting them to come register the product to get, something <laughs> yeah i don't know how i wonder if they even like eliminate that or check I it think you know? they probably well that's a really good question and i don't know the answer because amazon is trying to get brands to provide final packaging now right so it doesn't they, they want it to not go in an amazon box because that's expensive and it's environmentally bad and all that so Maybe if you pack your own box, then maybe you have more opportunity to to slip slip some secret (laughs) on in there or something. Secret code in there. I surely the story that the problem is if you use Amazon as part of your distribution system, then you are constantly competing on price with that part of your distribution system. Amazon will not rank your products if your price is elsewhere or lower, right? I mean, it, it says that it, it, it's not a rule. So if you want to discount prices on your own website, you're going to lose your Amazon sales. But in order to compete on Amazon, you have to be pretty price competitive. So you lose a lot of pricing flexibility if you head on to the platform. On the other hand, that's where all the customers are. So maybe if you can find a way to build your actual brand off Amazon and simply use Amazon for volume, maybe that's, a, that's perhaps the hybrid solution you need to find because you have to build it off Amazon. Look, the thing, the thing that I think most brands don't, still don't understand is that Amazon is the anti-brand. Amazon is the opposite of branding. What is, the, what is the point of branding? Branding is to create a funnel, right? Where people are aware of you and then they become closer to you and finally you get to have them as a customer. And the whole point of the funnel 
is to grease the slide down to being a customer and to allow you some premium because they love you. Yes. You have caused your customer to love you in some way, to love your brand, and they're prepared to pay a little extra for it. But in order to do that, they have to know you. They have to know your brand. When you think about Amazon, Amazon is about search. It's not about brand. The way you find stuff on Amazon is not searching for Hanes. You search for underwear, right? And if Hanes has competitive prices, they'll pop up. But it's, you, you have no chance of – I think people radically overestimate the possibility of creating a brand on Amazon. Because, and, and Amazon absolutely encourages this. The Amazon storefront stuff that they do, the Amazon stores – I'm sorry. I don't see, tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me I'm completely wrong. I don't see it. People don't go there to go for brands. They go there to search for products using a whole set of filters. So if you already, yeah, if you're a small brand, if you already have a brand, people might be looking for your specific brand. They might. They might. About a $5 million brand doesn't. Uh, they might have it where they're on Facebook and they're blasting you with ads about whatever. Oh, then why wouldn't you drive them to your own website? Instead? You would. You would. The ads would drive to your own website. But if people just decide to search on Amazon because they're lazy and want the easy checkout, that might. I, I do that occasionally. Like I did that with a. There's this company Organifi has a really good. I don't know, healthy juice powder or something or other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, I don't know about that price. <laughs> so I went on Amazon and typed in Organifi green juice. Yeah, yeah. And it was the same. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it to the website. You know what? I think I might have done Amazon because it was easier to freaking right. type sure. it in. Yeah. And- that, that laziness factor. I was like, oh, instead of having to type in all my info here. And then when I did my rebuy, I did do it from their, I did, I was on their email list from the marketing. So then I went and bought direct from site the second time. Right. First time it was the ease of convenience. I'd already done some research and I was like, do I really want to go back to the site? I'm on my phone. Out of hell with it. Click, click, click. And it showed up. So, you know, and it's not just that, that Amazon owns all the reviews. It's really important. People, people really read reviews. I know oh, that yeah. they can be gamed. I know Amazon is probably making things harder with its very odd decision to allow reviews, star reviews with no text, which is a kind of weird thing. It debases the review value. But uh, anyway, but reviews are really, really important, as we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and Amazon has them all. So it's but but the branding point is i just don't believe that for a small brand or a medium even a medium sized brand you can create something on amazon that people will search for i just i'm sorry no I'm i'd agree you'd have to do it off amazon yes and then you're giving up your 20% cut that's right <laughs> well like, why bother because that's where all the customers are yeah. and and you can learn a fair amount about price sensitivity and about marketing ideas. There, there aren't, it's not completely useless. You can run a lot of experiments on a lot of people quickly, mm-hmm. right? So you can, you can learn a lot from Amazon. 
But can you really build a brand there? I mean, look at what Nike is doing. I mean, that Nike is a great case. Nike said, we can't work with Amazon. We need our customers. And they're abandoning their own bricks and mortar business in order to build a direct to the consumer brand that will be sustainable. And they're doing it off Amazon. So it's an absolutely sort of central case. Here's a really powerful big brand and they are going all in on avoiding Amazon. And will it work? And one, one of the things to think about, and this is something to th for your brands to think about also, it seems to me it partly depends on how many touch points you have. I think Nike has real problems because you only buy Nikes once or twice a year. Can this is a good analogy, actually. I just bought Under Armour shoes yesterday. And I was kind of feeling I was going to buy, I usually generally buy Nikes. I need a new pair of cross trainers. And I was just like Googling around and then I was getting irritated because then I was like, I can't really tell the shoes. So I went to the mall and there was an Under Armour store. There wasn't a Nike one. So I walked in and they said, hey, if you try on these pair, you get a discount and you get a scratch ticket. And I was like, all right. And walked out with them okay. so because Nike didn't have the placement there. Right. I said, I, I left and I wasn't the type that would buy e shoes e-com. I want to try them on. I mean, I know I can return them, but yeah. I only got so much time in a day, you know, I, want right. to try them on, make a decision. <laughs> I don't have a lot of shoe decision time, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that it was about physical location. I mean, I'm N equals right. one here, but that's you know. right. The, the, I think the thing for brands is to figure out why are we going to be unique? What, what is going to make us different for customers? How can we build a core of customers outside Amazon and retain those customers? And then Amazon becomes a kind of ancillary mm -hmm. channel. Difficult to manage, but potentially very lucrative. If you end up at the top of your category for a couple of months, you can make a lot of money. But would I advise a brand to go all in on Amazon? It seems so risky. Yeah. It just seems so risky. You have no control over anything. No control over anything. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that, and, it, and it's not easy to imagine how to do that for many brands, how, how you make that connection to your customers on a regular basis and what you can do for your customers that will bring them back to your storefront rather than to Amazon, if you're on Amazon. I mean, you risk cannibalizing your own business. I have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you got to have your own brand build up and then got to be able to preserve your price. So like in the Organifi, I mean, I was looking for that specific product. I'd already right. made up my mind. Yes. If yeah. I were to search green juice, there was going to be some half the price of this one. You know no what? Doubt. That stuff's amazing, by the way. Free plug for these guys, whoever they are. <laughs> it's really good stuff. It's expensive though, but I love it. So, that, that's okay. Yeah. Being expensive is all right these days. The quality is good too. So I don't mind. Yeah. 70, I pay 70 bucks a month for this powder. And I, I notice when I drink it, I feel better. So probably just caffeine in there or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I quit. I thought maybe I haven't quit. <laughs> I, yeah. I, gave a, I gave up caffeine too a few years ago. Yeah, so. I'm, uh, I'm six months. That's great. Yeah. Well, Robin, this was awesome. Very informative. I mean, I'm super pumped. <laughs> I'm glad you had a good this. time. It was great. Where can people find you? In I can't pronounce you can that. Find, they can find me at, <laughs> at robingaster.com. That, that will find all my stuff. You can find links to the book there, and uh, you can get in touch with me if you want to. So Great. All right. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks so much, Scott. Bye.
Thank you.